This is the Monroeville Christian Church podcast, where you can find sermons, Bible studies, and other biblical content produced by Monroeville Christian Church. My name is Covey Wise. I'm one of the preachers at Monroeville Christian Church. We're committed to teaching, training, and transforming lives for Christ, and we invite you to grow with us. And everybody said, Amen. It's always great to uh, see our young people up here and uh, what they're learning. I know they really get excited when they get up in front of people, but uh, they're learning sign language and uh, a lot of scriptures they sing and they're learning to memorize them and uh, our workers with them upstairs uh, do their due diligence and uh, working with our young people. So... Parents, you ought to be uh, happy. Uh, your young people are being blessed, and uh, we're trying to do what we can here uh, to raise them in the ways of the Lord. But don't neglect your responsibilities. Make sure you're doing what you can at home. <clears throat> happy uh, Resurrection Sunday to everybody. I'm going to take a swig of water before we get started. Back on the back of the bulletin, sermon outline, each of the points. So we're good. Read that. Let's go home and eat ham, right? (laughs) Now let's have some spiritual food first. And then if you do that, or you go out to eat or whatever you'll be doing, go on to eat with family or visit. I hope you have a a great day and uh, being able to do those things. I'm going to be reading from the, the New King James, looking at the different passages there, uh, talking about this place where Jesus went and was crucified. I'm going to, I'm going to name those, um, but I'm going to read from the New King James. The theme of our message is, is treasures in Golgotha, uh, but that word Golgotha could be the, the place of the skull, or it could be Calvary, depending on what translation of the Bible that you have. Does anybody uh, uh, know why they called it Golgotha or the place of the skull? I was taught that that's where they buried Goliath's head up on the top of that. Also, I've been taught that it looked like a, a place of a skull. But if it was outside the city up on the hill, the Romans would have wanted to let everybody see these people that they were crucifying to keep the people in, in line. So there could have been a lot of skulls laying around up there on the ground. So some things to think about. I'm going to read from the New King James chapter uh, 23, verse 33, down through 46. Contacts aren't working, so I'm going to stay here under the light so I can see and not make too many mistakes. But uh, Luke chapter 23, and... um, Verse 33 through 46. The other gospel writers also talk about this and uh, bring up some different things than Luke does. But here's what Luke says. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
They divided up his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers, they also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This he breathed his last. I'd like to read these other couple verses to see these soldiers that were mocking and now see the change of heart with them. Verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts. They beat their chests and returned back to the city or back to their homes. But all of his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The most shameful and painful death ever devised by sinful humanity was death on the stake. Death on the cross. Described as the crucifixion. This was the death that our Lord chose to die for each of us. <clears throat> During the six hours that Jesus of Nazareth hung upon the cross, he spoke seven different times. Every word was presented with significance. There was meaning. He just wasn't mumbling or talking or talking about the, the, the high priest or Pilate or Herod or the crowds or the people mocking him or whatever. He spoke significant, important things. You know, as men, as we search 
our whole lives looking for that pot of gold at the foot of the rainbow. You know, it can truly be found at the foot of the cross of Golgotha. There's treasure to be found here at Golgotha. May the treasure at Golgotha draw us every day to the foot of the cross to remember the God that we serve, to remember what he did for us. First off, one of the words or phrases that he spoke, the first phrase out of seven that we're going to look at, he said, "For God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Man, as Ron talked in his communion meditation, as we think of this, and we think of Jesus and what he went through, they went and arrested him up in the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him and took him to a trial there at Caiaphas' house, the high priests. They couldn't condemn him. It was a trial by night, and they didn't even have a proper trial. It was against Jewish law, and they took him to Pilate. And Pilate said, I don't find anything wrong with him. Send him to Herod. He's king, right? Herod, he just wanted to see signs and miracles and everything. And uh, Jesus wasn't going to be his jester or his clown and juggle little crosses or something for him, whatever he wanted. They sent him back to Pilate. His wife said, hey, don't do this. I had a dream about this. If you read one of the other gospels. And Pilate said, well, I'll go ahead and have him beat. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. Nine tails on this leather thing that the executioner used. And there was pieces of, of, of iron and glass and pottery and rock. Other pieces of metal. And they would take the person and they would stretch them over a stump in their back. And they'd tie them to it where they couldn't move. And the executioner would stand up there and count one, and it didn't come back. It was stuck in his skin, and he'd have to pull it out, and he'd be pulling flesh off his body. And they beat him 39 times because they said if they'd beat him 40, they'd die. And Pilate said, hit him a few more times to let him know you're really punishing him. So we don't know how many times they beat him. Brought him back, and the people were still yelling, crucifying, killing People that came from all around may not even have known what was going on. For whatever reason, they got involved in the mob scene and they started yelling too. Crucify him, crucify him, yeah, kill him. Pilate said, hey, on a holiday like this, we can let uh, somebody go. Here's Barabbas, insurrectionist and murderer and terrible man. You want to let him go or do you want to let this good guy go? Let Barabbas go. And they did. They let the, the bad guy that deserved to die go. And they kept Jesus innocent. Man who only did good, did things right, helped people, healed people. They kept him. Pilate was upset. They took Jesus away. It says they put a crown on thorns upon his head, a purple robe. 
The purple robe that they would have put on him would have started to heal to the, the wounds. And he was already beaten, looked like hamburger. They said no one was ever beat or tortured the way Jesus was. He was beat and those robes would have stuck to him and started to heal. They would have taken a crown of thorns like this with big thorns and smashed it down on his head and it would have went down into his ears and through his eyelids and maybe into his nose and blood would have been running and running, sweat and going into his eyes and he couldn't wipe them because they were probably keeping his hands tied and they took a rod and beat him on the head and beat him with it the soldiers and tortured him and then they took that purple robe and they ripped it off of him and opened up the wounds again and the pain and the agony that would have rushed through his nerves and they took him back before Pilate and showed the crowds look I'm going to let him go and they're like no crucify him and he went and he washed his hands and said you do what you're going to do and they took him. They made him carry a cross up to that hill. They nailed his hands and his feet. They may have even tied ropes around his hands and his feet to make sure that the nails wouldn't pull out. No bones were broken, so they probably went through his wrists where the two bones come and hook the hand and it would have been a good spot to grab. The feet, they would have nailed them together and they could have nailed them up above the foot where the foot... And the ankle is up in that area down through. And they had a little angle upon the cross where he could be able to push off. Because the way you died, it was through exhaustion and suffocation. And you just couldn't push anymore to get a breath. Because <laughs> you had to be able to push off and it was torture. The average time that a person was on a cross was 36 hours. Some lasted for two, three days. Some never took them off. The birds came and were eating their flesh. They'd cut the crosses down and they'd just let the bodies lay there on the ground and there'd be bones and skulls and everything in this area of execution. If somebody knew you, maybe they'd come and get your, your body and bury it. Jesus is hanging there after they did this. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They were ignorant. They didn't even know what was going on. Jesus chose his death. He died there for us. And it was amazing that he made this prayer of these words. Why they were killing him. It's interesting to see that Jesus indicating by his prayer that there are two centers of forgiveness. One is on the earth. Jesus was forgiving them. But the second, he's praying to God. There's a center of forgiveness in heaven. And he's asking his heavenly father to forgive them. You see, it looks like Jesus, again, had forgiven them of their ignorance and he asked God to do the same. Now as for the matter of their eternal forgiveness, that was still contingent upon their faith, those people in that crowd that day. And the acceptance of the terms of pardon of the Christian gospel, 
They still needed to believe in Jesus. They needed to repent of their sins and turn from their sins in the world and turn to God and Christ. They still needed to confess him before men and be immersed for the forgiveness of their sins and to live a good, faithful, and dedicated life until death or until Jesus returned. If they did those things according to the scriptures, then and only then would they have eternal forgiveness. Beyond that, let us not miss the wonderful treasure here. The one who prayed like this is the one that you and I need and want as a savior. Secondly, he said, today you shall be with me. Verse 43 says, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. There are a couple things that people misunderstand about this passage that can be very dangerous to our salvation and to our eternal destination. The issue is people don't rightly divide the word of truth. They look at this and say, hey, this is a promise that I can claim, but it's not. The reader needs to remember that we need to rightly divide the word of truth and remember that Christ did not die yet and this was still under the mosaical dispensation. The Christian age had not started and the terms of pardon of how to become a Christian were not given. So what was said to the thief on the cross is not an invitation of promise for us today that are living in the Christian age and dispensation. There are many people today claiming this promise. And you need to understand, it's not for you. You don't live under the mosaical dispensation. Jesus is dead, buried, risen from the grave. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after that, preached the terms of pardon and what a person needed to do. Another thing is, secondly, a lot of people don't understand what this term paradise means. The word paradise, according to Ash, a commentator, he noted on this word that in some elements of the first century Judaism, this word described the heavenly abode of the soul between death and the resurrection or the day of judgment. Ash says that the term paradise, and I believe uh, he's right, he says that it's a waiting place, just like Abraham's bosom was back in Luke chapter 16. And that was before Christ's death upon the cross. Remember that after Jesus rose from the dead, he stated that he had not yet ascended to the Father in John 20 verse 17. Therefore, paradise is not identified as the final abode of Christ's church or Christians. Ash, Kaufman, Harold Buckles, Barton W. Smith, George Fall, many other scholars. <clears throat> they all say that this term here presented in this passage is not talking about heaven, but it's the final resting place here is not what's being talked about. 
But in the mosaical dispensation, when you died, you went to Hades. And there were two compartments, Abraham's bosom, a great chasm, and then torment. And remember the story there of rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. So it's kind of like Abraham's bosom during a mosaical dispensation. But it's now called paradise. After Jesus has died, we're caught up to the third heavens and we go to paradise if you're a Christian or you're going to go to heaven, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 2. So Jesus was telling this thief here that he would be with him today in, in the paradise or Abraham's bosom, which at this time was still in Hades, a place of disembodied spirits. But soon it was going to be moved to the third heaven. He was saying, you will be with me in a future place of happiness. Strong's concordance of the Bible says that's what this term means. This is not heaven. And even if it would be a reference to heaven, today we live in the Christian dispensation. We must obey the terms of pardon that are given to us. During the Christian dispensation, there are nine conversions in the book of Acts. And we see there the terms of pardon that are given. One is you need to believe the message. Then you need to repent. Turn from the world and sin and turn to God and Christ. Then you need to confess Christ before men. And then as Acts 2.38 says, you need to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then after you become a Christian, then you need to live and be an overcomer. And you need to be faithful unto death to be able to receive the crown of life. So beyond those things, let's make sure that we catch this great treasure here at the cross. Jesus was concerned about the thief. He's concerned about the sinner. While he was being crucified on the cross, Jesus, he was thinking about you and, and I. While on the cross, he died for sinners of every generation. That was his purpose in coming to this world, to die for us and to pay a debt that we could never pay. What an eternal truth and precious treasure Jesus gives the seeker here at the cross. Next, thirdly, he says, woman, behold your son, disciple, behold your mother. John 19, 26 and 27 says, a synoptic gospel of our text. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, mother, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, which was John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. An assignment was given at the cross. And it meant something to John. And he listened to Jesus and he took her into his house. And you know what? We too have been given an assignment at the cross. We've been given a commission to go and tell all nations of the good news of Jesus. The Great Commission was given after Jesus rose from the dead. And in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will always be with you until the end of the age. We need to obey this commandment, spread this good news of Christ being crucified for the lost. This dying world that needs him so much before it's too late. It's our assignment, it's our job to go and tell people how to be saved. Another wonderful treasure and blessing given there was Jesus said, my God, why? Matthew 27, 46 says that in about the ninth hour, this was around 12, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The cause of Jesus' cry on the cross here, according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, was he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. You see, sin separates us from God. Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities, your sins, your transgressions, your trespasses, all those things are included in iniquities, have made a separation between you and between God. So then, when the sin of the world was on Jesus on the cross, darkness fell on the land. And he was separated from God for us so that he could make propitiation for our sins. 1 John 2, 2. What a blessing we get from God the Father and Jesus as he paid the debt for our sins that we might be able to become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the second part of that verse. The next treasure was him saying, I'm thirsty. John 19, 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. This was the cry of a man who was suffering and dying on a cruel cross. And all he wanted was a little bit of water. These were the only words that Jesus spoke on the cross which called any attention to himself. Think about this for a minute. The water of life, he drained himself dry for us. He went thirsty so that we could drink freely from the water of life. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. What a golden, wonderful, magnificent treasure and blessing. And it was flowing like a stream from the foot of the cross 
of Golgotha for anybody who wanted to freely drink of it. The next words of Jesus were there, sixthly. The sixth thing that he said and phrase was, he said, it's finished. John 19.30 says, when Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What was finished? Well, a few things were finished. One, his earthly life. His earthly ministry was now finished. He had finished his course and fulfilled the will of the Heavenly Father and accomplished his purpose in coming into the world, making atonement for our sins there on the cross. But also, it was finished what? He had fulfilled everything that was written and prophesied about him in the law of Moses and his life and his death. Everything that happened, he wanted to make sure everything, he fulfilled those things. And when he did, he said, it's finished. I filled full the law of Moses. I filled full all the prophecies of what they said about me. It's accomplished. So now God is free to love lost men into his family once they have been obedient to the gospel without violating his holy justice because Jesus finished it, all of it. What a rich and wonderful treasure at Golgotha. The seventh phrase, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46 says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his laugh. You see, this was not the cry of some defeated victim. But it was the proclamation of a triumphant champion and victor. Jesus crying loudly shows that he did not die of exhaustion. If death by crucifixion was exhaustion and suffocation, his vocal cords would not have functioned at all. But Jesus' vocal cords did work. And he cried out loudly and said this so that they could hear. Jesus' death, again, was a conscious, voluntary fulfillment of his own prophecy. John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said this. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life. Jesus said, I lay down my life. And I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me. No one takes my life away from me, Jesus said. But I lay it down of my own initiative. And I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it again. This command I received from my father. Those people thought that they killed him. But Jesus was fulfilling everything that was said. And once he had done all those things, then he gave his life to die. He gave his spirit back to the father. 
Again, another wonderful treasure for us from Golgotha. That we know that Jesus and God are in control and that everything is going as they have planned. In conclusion, there's abundant treasures to be found at Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. The question for you today is, have you claimed these things for your own? If you're here and you know what you need to do to be saved and you're ready, in a few moments we're going to be singing our hymn of invitation. As we sing, please come, I'll be here to greet you. And the scriptures tell us it's, it's easy. Jesus paid all the hard things. He's the one who died for your sins and paid the debt. God did the hard things, giving his only begotten son for us. And all we need to do is believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the only begotten son of God, and that he did these things. And we need to repent, do a 180 degree turn. We're walking the way of the world and we're going this way and we do a 180 and we start walking towards God and Jesus and start walking down that straight and narrow path and way to heaven. And then we confess him. Not only at the time of our conversion we confess him, that we believe that Jesus is Christ, Son of the living God, but every day after that we confess. We're proud to wear the name Christian. No matter what people may say or do, they may call us a Jesus freak. They may throw things at us, but it's sad that they're ignorant in that way. And the scriptures tell us that we need to be immersed. That, that, that word baptismo in the Greek means to be dipped, plunged, or immersed. Your whole body is buried, the old man of sin, down in the watery grave. And there you receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you come up out of that watery grave, a new creature in Christ. And you start to put on the full armor of God. Fight the good fight of the faith and walk that straight and narrow path. The rest of your days are until Christ returns. And if you're an overcomer and you're faithful to the end, then your name will be read out of that Lamb's Book of Life one day. And you'll be told, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. Come on through the pearly gates. Come on. Walk on streets of gold. If you're here and you're not a Christian, what are you waiting for? Jesus, they, he died. He paid the price. They buried him. This morning when the sun come up, 2,000 years ago, the ladies came to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. One passage says there was an angel sitting on a stone. Another says there were two angels and they had shining garments on. And they said, why are you looking for somebody who's alive amongst the dead? Look where he was. Remember what he told you when he was alive? He's risen. The tomb's empty. He's alive. He's ascended into heaven where he's been coronated and glorified as the great King of kings and Lord of lords. What a great message we have. What great good news we have. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And if you need to accept Jesus... And to be obedient to the gospel today, won't you please come as we sing Amazing Grace.